Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. himself knew and understood and grew and studied the Word of God. That's why the Holy Spirit was able to use him to be able to reach societies high and low, the up and out as well as the down and out. God used Paul as his vessel. It was the work of the Spirit of God in his life, and it was the obedience of him as a vessel of God to be able to be used by God. For those of you who claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, are you preparing your vessel to be used by God? Or do you simply say, well, praise God, I'm going to heaven. Even in the most wicked of cultures, there are those the Holy Spirit will convict of sin. There are individuals who will actually listen and believe and put their trust in Jesus. Paul, in courage and faith, went into utterly corrupt places and spoke boldly of the gospel. Today, Pastor David will encourage you to be an imitator of Paul. He was willing and obedient. He knew the Word of God and studied it faithfully. He prayed frequently and trusted God completely. The Holy Spirit will work miracles through such faithfulness. And here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 18 as he continues his message from the up and out to the down and out. Corinth is actually known for its absolute perversion and wickedness. Corinth was that kind of a place. As a matter of fact, Albert Barnes shares with us, it was one of the most populous and wealthy cities of Greece. And at the same time, one of the most luxurious, effeminate, proud, ostentatious, and dissolute. Lasciviousness here was not only practiced and allowed, it was consecrated by the worship of Venus. Venus is the one that the Greeks would have called Aphrodite, okay, the goddess of love. Barnes continues on, no small part of the wealth and the splendor of the city arose from the offerings made by licentious passion in the very temples of this goddess. No city of ancient times was more shamelessly immoral and filled with debauchery. As a matter of fact, Corinth was so known for its wickedness that anywhere in the Middle East, if you found someone that was so totally immoral and wicked both in character and in action, it was not an uncommon thing to say, oh, they've been Corinthianized. They've been Corinthianized. Kind of like, you know, we could conjure up the worst of cities like uh, Stockholm, Sweden, Paris, France, San Francisco, and New York City, and the worst of Casa Grande, and put them all together. That's what Corinth was. And so the Apostle Paul, without any of his fellow companions, he now moves into this cesspool that's known as Corinth. 
I think all too often we don't consider. We don't consider it the emotional, the, the physical, and even the spiritual battles that, that are going to take place, even with a man like the Apostle Paul. We put the apostles, oh man, they're way up here. No, guys, they are just like you and I. They have a gift, they have a calling, they have a purpose in life, they have a commitment, absolutely. But you know what? They are men of like passions just as we are. We come in and we see him go into this. We put all of these biblical characters up on pedestals believing that they're unmoved by the situations or the cultures that they find themselves in. But guys, we do great disservice. We do great disservice to them, but we also do great disservice to the power of God in individual lives that move in a variety of different cultures. Paul had just left Athens. He had just shared the hope of the gospel with the highest educated, the most influential men of all of Athens. And now he moves into the stench and just the overwhelming immorality of Corinth. So stop with me for a moment and consider. What do you think would have been the emotional and the spiritual condition of even the apostle Paul? as he comes into this city that's known throughout the entire region for its wickedness. How would that have impacted him? Well, let me help you to understand that. How would it have impacted you? If you, on your own, without your companions, went into this city and just were surrounded, yeah, all the pagan gods, but on top of that was the grossness of the immorality the, the worst in the Middle East of that time. Last week we spoke, and I asked you the question of how would you respond to the culture that's so far from the principles and from the standards of Christ, so far from any recognition of the one true God? How would you yourself respond to that? And that's pretty much where Paul finds himself. And we actually have a couple of clues within the scripture of the impact of all of this on the Apostle Paul. Please do not put him in, the, in this pedestal, in this bubble of, of, of spirituality that, that says nothing can impact me, nothing can affect me. Because we see through the word of God that it did impact him. Just a couple of verses later, while you're in chapter 18 of Acts, the Lord gave Paul a vision at night. Look at what it says up in verse 9. Acts chapter 18, verse 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and, and don't keep silent. For I'm with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Think for a moment. Just use your logical brain. Why would God say to Paul, Paul, don't be afraid? Do you think it might be because he was afraid? Why would God say, Paul, don't be silent, but keep on speaking? Do you think that maybe there might have been a hesitancy in Paul to speak out the truth of the gospel because of the grossness that was all around him? Why would God say no one's going to hurt you unless he felt that his very life and existence was threatened there? Guys, let's put it real. 
Our second hint actually comes from the very letter that the apostle wrote to the church that eventually will begin here in Corinth. We find that he actually ends up spending a year and a half there ministering in the midst of that cesspool, which is absolutely amazing. Of all the places I would want to spend a year and a half, Corinth is probably not the place that I would have chosen, at least in the physical realm. But if God says, hey, that's where I want you to be, definitely. But listen to what Paul himself writes to the church there in Corinth. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and he begins there in verse 1 of that chapter, writing to the church, to the people there in Corinth. And he says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, he wasn't up there debating at this point in time. He wasn't there, you know, expounding the excellencies. No, he came to the simpleness of the gospel. But look at the next verse. This is the one I want you to pay attention to. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. The apostle Paul, weakness, fear, and trembling? Yes, even the apostle Paul. As we see in that passage there in 1 Corinthians, I find it absolutely fascinating that Paul says, I determined not to come to you with that excellence of speech or wisdom. Instead, he actually came to them determined not to know anything other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Simplicity of the message of the gospel. Paul's really honest with him here as he shares with them that, again, after that experience in Athens where he debated the intellects of the day, He's now coming into the city of Corinth, and as he comes into that cesspool of wickedness, he comes in there in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. No doubt there in Athens, Paul had the opportunity to wax eloquent as he shared with the educated, as he shared with the elite. But now Paul is taken from, yeah, an undoubtedly pagan but yet intellectual culture and he's brought and plunged into this increasing darkness that's in Corinth. And that's why, again, the, the encouragement from the Lord that we find back in Acts 18, verse 9. Don't be afraid, but speak. Don't keep silent. I'm with you. No one will attack you to hurt you. Do you think Paul was going through things while he was there in, in Corinth church? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are there going to be difficult times for you in your life, in your walk with Christ as we live in this culture? And should the Lord tarry, the unfortunate reality of the, the downturn of our culture, should the Lord tarry? Are we able to stay strong? Only by the power of Christ. If you try and do it in your own strength, you will never make it. Look at a man like the Apostle Paul and the impact of that. Let's move on. Acts 18, verse 2. We're moving it. High rate of speed here, so hold on. Verse 2, And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently come from Italy and his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and Paul came to them. 
So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Now, as we look at this process, we just move right into that. Oh yeah, now he's teaching with the Jews and the Greeks. But we don't know how long that process is. Let's pause, let's slow down for a moment. Let's take a moment to look and see what's going on. When he first meets Aquila and Priscilla, most scholars look at that and understand that Aquila and Priscilla probably were not Christians at that point in time. Luke introduces Aquila as a Jew, not as a believer. He introduces him as a Jew. When we look at Aquila and Priscilla through the New Testament, we find that they do become believers. They actually become co-workers or co-laborers together with Paul in the work of the ministry throughout not only the book of Acts, but even in Paul's writings. Many times, as a matter of fact, the six times that they are mentioned uh, throughout the New Testament, the, the couple is mentioned. Number one, they're always mentioned together. Guys, this was a husband and wife ministry team. And I tell you what, if you are in ministry, you better make sure that your husband or your wife is there with you. And I praise God that my wife, the strength and, and the companionship and the co-laboring together, what a blessing that is. I cannot imagine being here without her. The interesting thing is with Aquila and Priscilla, mentioned six times, four out of those six times, guess what? Her name is actually mentioned first. It's actually Priscilla and Aquila. Some people said maybe that's because of her giftings and her callings. Others say, well, maybe that's because she talks so much. I don't know. I'm not going to get into that argument. Well, they had been in Rome for a while, and as a Jew in Rome in, 49, in AD 49, Claudius, the Caesar at that point in time, kicked out the Jews out of Rome, and that's why they are now in Corinth. And once Paul meets them, he forms a friendship with them because they were all of the same trade, the same occupation. They were tent makers, which also included during that time leather workers, and you've probably heard of Corinthian leather. Even in those days, it was a great form of leather. Leather and tent making was their trade, and so as they continued on, they grew in friendship, Aquila and Priscilla, no doubt we don't read when it happened, how it happened. They came to the Lord, and again, they, they continued to minister together. It's now at this point, at this place, where, where Luke tells us, even in the midst of the darkness of the city of Corinth, that the Apostle Paul now begins to once again reason in the synagogue every Sabbath. And you know what? He's persuading both Jew and Greek, even in that dark culture. Even in the darkness of this city, Jews and Greeks alike were coming to a saving knowledge of Christ. And once again, that ought to remind us, gang, that God has no limits. God has no barriers. There is no wall. There is no culture that God does not want to touch individual lives and bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. The low cannot be so low, but that the hand of God will reach down and pull them up. And you know what? As he pulls them up out of the stench and the filth and the muck and the mire that they are covered with, either because of where they're at, because of their circumstances, or because of their choices, God comes in and he desires to change, yes, even those lives. But you know what? Neither can an individual's intellect, 
his social standing, or his worldly influence keep him from the need of a savior. So God reaches down also to those that seem to have their act all together, that seem to be in control of things. On both hands, God wants to touch lives, and yes, even today in our culture, even with all the knowledge that's found in this world, yet man will continually run from the truth of God. We are ever learning, but never able to come to the truth in man's own logic, in man's all understanding. And it was because Paul himself, he knew the Savior, because Paul himself knew and understood and grew and studied the Word of God. That's why the Holy Spirit was able to use him to be able to reach societies high and low, the up and out as well as the down and out. God used Paul as his vessel. It was the work of the Spirit of God in his life, and it was the obedience of him as a vessel of God to be able to be used by God. For those of you who claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, are you preparing your vessel to be used by God? Or do you simply say, well, praise God, I'm going to heaven. I've got my ticket. Too bad about you. Do you know that God saved you on purpose? For a purpose. To be a witness to the, your culture. To be a witness to the circle of influence within your life. That might be just your family, but I doubt it. I believe that your influence and the lives that you touch go beyond that. Perhaps to your neighbors, co-workers, friends, acquaintances. Why did God save you? Why are you still sucking air? Why are you still taking space? Because God's not finished with you yet. God wants to use you to bring glory to him by the testimony of Christ in your life. Guys, God has no barriers. The Holy Spirit cannot be and will not be restrained. The depth of the deepest darkness in this life and in this culture or any other culture cannot keep out the light of the world, Jesus Christ. How many of you have a flashlight and you know where it is, whether it's in your car or at your house? You have a flashlight, you know where it is. And you know what its use is, right? That's the reason you have it. Because the flashlight pierces the darkness. How many of you, again, just by a raise of hands, how many of you have a flash dark? A flash dark? What in the world is a flash dark? Did you notice there's no such thing as a flash dark? Guys, it's not the darkness that pierces the light. It's the light that pierces the darkness. And the light of Christ in your life, no matter where you may find yourself today or tomorrow or the next decade, Understand that you, if you claim Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are, as Jesus told the multitudes in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. You are a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. 
And you don't take that light or that lamp and put it under a basket. No, you put it up on a stand to where it can be seen by everyone. And Jesus says, so let your light so shine before men. And he's speaking about in the darkness of the culture that we live both now and wherever and whenever we might be living. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Guys, you and I as believers, we need to be reminded. Don't be afraid, but speak. Don't keep silence. The message of the hope of the gospel that's in you. If in truth, you have that hope abiding in you. Because the Lord has many within this city, many within our current culture, that need to hear the reason for the hope that's within you. Both the down and out and the up and out. We look at some and say, well, they would never need the gospel. They've got their act all together. Guys, they need Jesus. They're so down and out, so deplorable, they would never turn to Jesus. Guys, maybe the reason they're so deplorable and so wicked is because they don't have anything. They are so empty. And the light of your life might be just enough to give them hope and reason to turn to Christ. And so what's going to be the response? I'll tell you what the response is going to be. For you speaking, for you declaring, for you shining your light, I'll tell you exactly what the response is going to be to your ministry to others. Some are going to mock. But you know what? Some are going to say, hey, We'd like to hear more of this. And others will believe and follow Christ. Don't be afraid. Don't keep silent. Let the light of Christ shine through you if truly that light abides in you. There's no way in the world a man in his own strength could go into a culture that is so diametrically opposed to his own life and his own being as as it was for the Apostle Paul. Uh, He was a guy that, I mean, he was was a Pharisee of the Pharisees when he was Jew. That, That meant that he, man, he stayed away from everything he knew that he needed to stay away from. I believe as a Christian, he was a man of intense integrity. And just a desire to walk in holiness and a desire to walk in purity of life. I don't want to make the wrong choices. And yet he was a man who is willing to, as he says later, I've become all things to all men in order that some might come to Christ. Now that doesn't mean that he became part of the muck and mire. But you know what? He was willing to go down and walk among that muck and mire to touch hearts and lives. That meant that he was willing to climb the heights of a Mars Hill to speak to the intellectuals and the educated, the up and out. He was willing, why? Because the gospel, the truth, because Jesus Christ was a burning fire within him. And he had to again be obedient to what God was sharing, what God was doing, what God was calling to his life. My hope and my prayer for each one of you is that we become that kind of people. For each one of you and for me, that we become that kind of people. 
Thanks for joining Pastor David today as we study the book of Acts on the open word. Though our program has come to an end today, your time in God's word can continue. It could be beneficial to go back and study today's passage in Acts on your own and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about what you read. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor David, you'll find them at theopenword.com. We'd love to meet you too. If you're in the Casa Grande area, please join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. For directions and service times, give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Now let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Thanks, Chris. You know, as this ministry continues to grow and reach further into the community and around the nation with the message of the gospel, I know the enemy wants to stop it. I also know that prayer is a big part of holding him back. Would you take time to pray for us every time you tune in to The Open Word? Pray too for our listeners, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and those who may have yet to place their faith in Jesus. This last category especially needs prayer. It could be that the next message you hear may be the first time they're learning about the hope that's only found in Jesus. Please pray that their hearts would be open and that they'd make a decision to follow Jesus forever. Hey, thanks for praying, and thank you for being a loyal listener to The Open Word.